Let's direct our attention now to the Word of God, first to the letter of Peter that we've been studying now for several weeks, chapter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And now turning to the Gospels, we have three narratives of things that happened in the life of St. Peter. And we're going to look at each one of them to see what Peter may have learned and how he may have grown in these. The first one is from Luke's Gospel. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he, that is Jesus, sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they had closed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, but from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And then the narrative of Matthew's gospel in chapter 14. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we have mentioned, the author of our letter that we're looking at, 1 Peter, is the Apostle Peter. We have more biographical information in the Gospels about Peter than we have about any of the other disciples. In fact, it's overwhelming. There's not even John or James or any of the other disciples of Jesus, the 12 disciples that Jesus chose to follow him during his earthly ministry, none of them receive the amount of press that Peter gets. And we learn a lot about Peter and we find a lot of help from what we learn about Peter. There's a lot of things that we can look 
two, but Mark has outlined an interesting little title. He says, Peter's humility, life in and out of the boat. <laughs> and, there, and I just kept musing on that as I got that title this week. And I thought that's, that may be the story of us all. Life in and out of the boat. I believe we've probably been in the boat from time to time. And we've been out of the boat from time to time. But to try to narrow our focus this morning, I want us to look at these three passages. I will narrate the third passage, which we didn't read aloud. I will uh, highlight it. But I want us to see three things in the life of Peter in these passages. There's a lot more here, and we've covered some of this material in sermons in the years gone by. But in this first narrative, we find in Luke, we find Peter and with the Lord in the boat, very similar to the final story where they had caught a large uh, amount of fish. But the thing that I think worked upon Peter more than anything else is when he saw the miracle working Christ. He saw himself. When he saw the beauty of Christ, the integrity of Christ, the holiness of Christ, the purity of Christ, saw his manner of life, heard the words of life that he taught, began to realize that this carpenter from Nazareth was not an ordinary man. He was certainly a man. He was hanging out with the guys in Capernaum. One of the theories of the life of Christ says that Christ in his carpenter work, the first 30 years of his life, is that he was involved in some aspect of the ship building, the boat building trade, and that it either worked on the timbers or some of the construction uh, of boats, fishing boats. And he hung around with these guys and worked with them. And they knew him. In fact, they were related to him. Peter knew Jesus to be an authentic, real man. But he just began to see things in Christ that he had not seen in any other man. And it was the love, the compassion, the sinless perfection, and yet still the warmth this was part of Jesus' expression of having favor with God and man. Peter liked Christ. Christ liked Peter. But Peter began to realize in this particular instance, I think it came to him as his eyes were beginning to open to see who Christ really is. And the first thing that strikes Peter is Peter's own sinfulness. He was looking at God manifested in flesh and he saw there his holiness. And Peter saw his own personal sinfulness. He knew what kind of man he was and he knew himself 
to be a sinner. This happened to the Old Testament prophet who had had a wonderful ministry in Jerusalem and in the temple and was one of the premier prophets before kings and noblemen in his day. But when the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in his majesty and in his holy, all he could see was his own personal sinfulness. Woe is me. The woe is the pronouncement of the curse. Woe is me. Cursed am I. Condemned am I. For I am undone. I am lost, it says in our ESV text. And that's an okay translation, but really it means I am completely discombobulated. I have lost my integrity. Here was a man of the highest moral order of his day, Isaiah. But when he saw Christ, really saw Christ, in the glory of the Godhead, he saw his sinfulness. I think that's the first step toward humility, to be poor in spirit, to be able to see your own sinfulness. And I submit to you that that's one of the graces that God gives us. I think in our natural man, in our natural heart, in our natural humanity, we don't really have an ability to see our sinfulness. Oh, we're introspective and self-conscious enough to realize we fall short and we have some inadequacies and we have some some uh, places where we need work and we see we have some, some uh, gaps in our personality that need a little work. There's a few rough edges and from time to time we do some things that we're embarrassed about. But we don't see our condition. Lost. Undone. Loss of integrity. No hope of mending the pieces and putting it back together. No way to stand upright before the Lord. We see that we're guilty. The indictment of the law is upon us. And the condemnation begins to echo in our ears that says, the soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think that is a first experience on our spiritual pilgrimage. When we're able to say in the presence of the Lord himself, I, I love this way it says, and Peter fell down at Jesus' knees I just can't imagine Peter as a personality falling down at anybody's knees. He impresses me as the kind of guy that takes the other guy's knees out. He certainly tried to do that to Malchus in the garden with a sword. But Peter saw himself as the sinner that he was and he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Lord, I shouldn't even be in your presence. Move away from me. 
I'm a sinner. Oh, we've got to come to that point in our life. As long as your pride, as long as your denial and self-centeredness prevents you from seeing your sinfulness, your condition before God, not before your fellow man, you probably come off, this is a pretty good looking group. I imagine y'all are all above average on just about any measure. Some of you are in the 90th quartile or percentile on a lot of things. You look good compared to everybody around about you. But when you're compared to the holiness of God, the perfections of Christ, it's a gift. It's a blessing. It's part of the precious work of the Spirit to just open our eyes and to move upon our hearts and to stir us deep within our viscera as to the condition that we're in, to break us so that He can now mold us and make us into what we need to be. Behold, I am a sinful man. It's interesting, on this occasion, Peter said to the Lord, depart from me. (laughs) On another occasion, Jesus is going to say to Peter, get behind me. Peter caught more rebuke than anybody we know of. It may have been just it was recorded that way. But he and the Lord had more dialogue. They had more interaction. They had more conversations that are significant. And you recall them to your mind where Peter will confess that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And time and again, even up to the very end, they're talking about Peter says, I will be with you. I will die with you. And then just a couple hours later, he he defended himself. He didn't want to die right then. And in the the denial of the Lord and, and all of the back and forth between Christ and Peter, extremely, extremely edifying. And I think that's what brings us to maybe the second passage that we read there in Matthew 14, where it was the passage where Peter walks on the water. Here we had an experience of Peter being in the boat, but he comes out of the boat. He had walked with the Lord. He had gotten to know the Lord quite a bit by this point. This happened in in the middle part of Jesus' ministry. The earlier incident happened early in the Lord's ministry. This is something that happens in about the middle of it, in in the very meat. In fact, Jesus had been uh, feeding the 5,000 and teaching on the mount and a lot of these things when, when this event happens. And then the third event, which we look at briefly in a moment, happened at the very end of the Lord's earthly ministry in his post-resurrection days with his disciples. But this is the one where Peter's in the middle of his coming to know the Lord. And all he asked the Lord to do was to say, come. Peter responded to that word, come. The Lord had said initially, come, follow me. That's the first thing that the Lord had with the encounter with Peter was he said, come follow me. So all you had to do, all the Lord had to do was to say to Peter, come. And Peter would respond. Oh, that's that's a good place to be right there. To hear the voice of the Lord saying, come. And you hear it, you recognize his voice. When the Lord was identified out there walking on the water, when they said, it's the Lord, when Peter saw who it was, recognized who he was, all he needed to do was to hear that word. He said, Lord, tell me, come and I'll come. And he did. And we know the miracle story of Peter 
walking on the water. Maybe Mark's title should be in the boat, out of the boat, on the water, in the water. <laughs> He's walking on the What's a miracle? His eyes are focused on Christ, not on the water. And he comes, he follows, he obeys. It's interesting that the text indicates that when he got to Jesus is when he began to sink. He was close enough that the text said the Lord was able to reach out and grab him. If he had done it a few paces earlier, he'd have gone down. The Lord wouldn't have been able to get to him. But he was able to rescue him, pull him in. And that's what we need to be. We need to be close enough to the Lord that when we stumble, when we fall, when our faith fails, when our courage fails, when the doubts come in and the depression and the disappointment and the, the winds blow upon us, and batter our spiritual lives. We ought to be close enough to the Lord, having walked with Him enough to where He can just reach out and grab us. We don't have a long journey home like the prodigal, but we're right there near the Lord at all times. And I think in that moment, Peter saw his helplessness. He'd seen his sinfulness, but now he sees his helplessness. He needed the Lord. It wouldn't be too long before you hear the Lord say, without me, you can do nothing. Except you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. Peter will learn that he needs the Lord. Wherever he is, walking on the water or walking down the pathway of life, he needs the Lord and he needs to be close to the Lord and he depends upon the Lord for service. And that's part of our humility too, isn't it? Learning that we can't do as much as we think we can. One of the great um, problems for many of us in ministry is we think only in terms of our own capacities, our talents, our natural innate abilities that we have recognized, that we have honed, that we've gone to school and we've been trained and educated and so forth. Of course, in the Christian ministry, we call them gifts, you know. <laughs> but that's what they are. They're God-given traits. We have natural born things that the Lord has placed in us and he bestows upon us an anointing upon those, an unction of his spirit which enables us to do things. But even with all of our giftedness and all of our talents and all of our abilities, we can't do anything productively in terms of bearing fruit unless we are depending upon the Lord. Peter recognized his sinfulness that drived him to, drove him to repentance. He recognized his need for the Lord, his helplessness, his faithlessness. One more time, the Lord rebukes him. Oh, you of little faith. I mean, I'll tell you, Peter, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son that's his. Peter just got his lessons up close and personal. Then in the third place is the passage that we're very familiar with. We read it not too long ago, and that's the passage in John John's gospel, where they're out there and it's after the Lord had been raised from the dead. In fact, he had already appeared to them a couple of times in the upper room experiences. We have that recorded in our narrative. But then this, the Bible says this was the third time that Jesus had this meaningful uh, uh, meeting with his disciples. And you, you're all very familiar with the story of the many things that happened there. 
But I think in this particular instance, the Lord gave Peter his commission, his restoration, when as they ate by the fire, the fish and the bread that the Lord had prepared, and the other disciples were there, and the Lord has this very long personal conversation with Peter. And he wants to know if Peter loves him. Peter liked the Lord. He admired the Lord. But now it gets very personal. Do you love me? You know what Peter knew? Peter knew the Lord had loved him and given himself for him. Just a few short weeks earlier, the Lord had hung upon a cross bearing in his body the sins of Peter. Peter's sins that had weighted him down in his conviction of his sin. Lord, I'm a sinful man. Every one of those sins had been forgiven because Christ had paid the price with his own blood for all of those sins. You think Peter loved the Lord? I don't think we can know how deep he did. And the Lord asked him again and again, and he said, Lord, you know that I love you. And the Lord gives him his commission. He tells him to feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Peter then, I think, began to realize his usefulness. He had seen his sinfulness, he had seen his faithlessness and his neediness. But now he sees his usefulness. That's something he can do. That's something the Lord has called him to. He can serve the Lord. When we've seen our sin, when we've seen our own inadequacy, now we're in the place of humility to humbly serve the Lord and we can see our usefulness, what the Lord has called us to do, what he's gifted us to do, what he's trained us to do, what he's led us to do, what he's empowered us to do. We have our usefulness. And it's always fascinating to me that the Lord brings it back to where it started because our text says at the very end, and after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me.